Welcome everyone, um, our spring conference, uh, really delighted to have you all. Um, as you people have been here before, you know that we start usually on uh, Friday with an introduc introductory talk where we um, sort of have a broad view of um, what we are going to cover in the conference. So um, let's make a start. Before I uh, go through the slides, can you put up your hand if this is your first time to come to Scotland? Wow, that's great. About 10 or 15 people? 10? 12 people first timers? I'm sure I'll get to know you all. As Abuna was saying, the, the theme we, we chose was about one new life. We're covering quite a broad topic really about the new life that we have in Christ. But before I start, I'm going to say the same thing that I've said a few weeks ago. Uh, people, I can't see some people here if you want to get a bit closer so I can see your faces. Um, I want you to think for a, for a minute or less about something that you, you have in mind as a purpose from coming to this conference. God interacts with you, but you also have to think. You also have to um, um, show some um, uh, willingness. So can I let you spend a few seconds really on just thinking in your heart with God about what you really want to achieve from coming to the conference. I don't think it works one way. I think it works both ways. So I'll leave you for a few seconds. You can close your eyes if you want to think about what is it that you want God to achieve in your heart over the, this weekend. And I will do the same. new life, um, I will explore tonight what we mean by one new life and what it is that we hope to cover over the conference. First thing you need to remember is this, when we talk about a new life, we talk about a new direction, a new mindset, because a lot of people think that when we say new life, that means it's a one-off and nothing changes after this. It's a journey, as we all know, but what, what I'm keen for you to get is, as I say, it's a direction. And what I want you to do is to make sure that you've done this. A lot of us, I'm saying a lot, I'm assuming, a lot of us mix between having one direction in life and falling in the spiritual life that we have. And I want to make sure that we have all adjusted our sat-nav to one destination. I'll give you an example. I might be living, let's say I live in, in Manchester. And I'm deciding I'm going from Manchester to London. This is, this is where I'm going. And I set my sat-nav on maybe um, a postcode in High Street, Ken. My sat-nav has been set to go to London. I might get lost a little bit, I might confuse the sat-nav as I always do, but the sat-nav hasn't changed the direction, still set to get to London. And this is really key. I want us all to have that mindset that we need to set our direction in life and we'll be clear whether we want a new life or an old life. 
Yes, we might have fools. Yes, we might have shortcomings. But the sat-nav should have one clear direction. And I really want every one of us to make that, sort of revisit, revisit that with God over this weekend. Have I changed my direction? Have I chosen to go back to Birmingham? Have I chosen to go back to Manchester? Have I decided, you know what, I keep getting lost. This sin, I have been enslaved by this sin for years. Let me change direction. Let me give up on where I want to go. Let me give up on this new life business. Maybe, maybe that's too much. Maybe it's a destination that doesn't exist. My message is you need to make sure that your satnav is set properly. And this is the direction that we need all to have over the weekend. That we have come here because we want to live a new life. We are refusing to go back. No way back to Manchester. I'm going one direction. And I don't want to change that. Why is this important? Because the devil confuses me and you. The moment you fall, he tells you, change direction. Play with the satnav. Stay as an old man. And God wants to hear your will. Do you want to go to London or not? I'll get you there, but don't change the satnav. I'll get you there, but make sure your satnav is set. A lot of us go and confess, and we think that after I've confessed, if I fall again, that means I'm still an old man, I'm still in my old life. Stop the satnav, or change it. Next thing is we've chosen to say that in Christ we have one new life. We're going to, we're going to break that down in a minute to see what it means. So let's start with the first word. In Christ we have one life. So I'm going to ask you, do you have one direction or one life or more? So your exercise, I want you to take a minute and I want you to think, I'm not going to ask you of, of um, your answer, okay? So don't worry. I want you to think about the last few times you've been on your own. I have a, a friend of mine he was confessing to a monk. So a monk said to him, you know, listen, all what you say to me about the stuff that you do is with people. I want to know what kind of a person you are, which direction you take when you are on your own. So I got a bit sort of blushed and started to confess properly about the stuff that he does, which direction he takes when he is on his, on his own. So I, I'm going to ask you to take a minute and say you don't want to know the answer. And I want you to think on your own, what direction do you take? Do you change your satnav when you're on your own? Think about the last couple of times when you're on your own. Did you decide, I'm going back to the old life? I'm going back to the old man or not? Don't think about times when you were with friends in church, in a conference, singing, at work with people. I want you on your own. Shall I give you a minute to think about that? Or, or you already got it? Who wants a minute? No. Did you get the, the, the concept? That when we are on our own, we make the choices that are closer to where we're at. St. Macarius t- tells us that we need to, put off, put, to take off the old man and put on the new man, the heavenly man, Jesus Christ. So if we have too many directions, St. Macarius is saying, this is the time to say, I've taken off the old man, and I want the new man who is Jesus Christ himself, the heavenly man. What else does St. Macarius say? He says, once more, with Christ that we put on, 
corresponding eyes to eyes, ears to ears, head to head, to be all pure. This is our calling. This is our calling. To have Christ corresponding ears to ears, eyes to eyes, head to head, so that we become all pure. You might think St. Macarius is talking about a very high level, but this is in essence what we are all called to live. Why am I asking this question about do we have one life or not? Because as we will see, a lot of us don't have one direction or one life. For example, I'm sure some of you have seen this before, that um, we see ourselves through different angles. So a lot of us live the way they would like people to see them. So a lot of us live what people say, the ideal social life, which is how I would like others to see me. And this is not your true self. This is not who you are. A lot of us live the way they would like to be perceived. I was sharing with some of you the other day, a nurse, Bonnie Ware, shared it with some of you, an Australian nurse who is looking after people who are dying with cancer for 12 years. One of the things that they all said that they regretted at the time of death was that they lived most of their life according to people's expectations, but not really their true self. And that is distorting. Because you think, I've taken a direction, Lord, and I'm following you, but actually, this is not who you are. You are actually talking about what you want people to see in you, but not who you really are. And God is calling us to be vulnerable in front of Him. It is much better for God that I come and say, Lord, you know what? I love this sin. I messed up. I chose a different direction. It's much better to say that than, as Abuna was praying, to put on a mask and I I say stuff that is not the real me. Any questions so far? Another exercise? This time I'll give you time to think. Again, we're talking about one new life, so don't forget. I want you to reflect on your past week. Again, on your own if you want. I have one question for you. To what extent are you satisfied with the way you performed over the last week? Whether it's work, whether it's church, friends, family. If you look back at last week and you examine the last week, to what extent are you satisfied with how you acted, with how you performed last week? Okay, I'll give you a few seconds to think and I'm going to ask you for your thoughts. I want you to think about last week, from 0 to 10, was I satisfied 7 out of 10 with, with the way I acted last week? 9, 4, who's got 4s? Is it embarrassing? Who's got 5s? Okay, who's got 10s? <laughs> who's got 10s? Who's got 8s? That you were sat- okay, satisfied with the way you you were last week. It was okay, up to your expectations. Come on, who's got two? Two. Anyone sharing two with Monica? Two. Who's got four? Three. Three. Four. Some fours. Five. Okay. 
Six? Oh, there's zero. I had a zero there. Six? Minus one. No. <laughs> I haven't had it there. But, uh, there's a six? Seven? Eight? Any eights? It's got one, yeah. Nines? Any tens? People embarrassed? My, my next question. How, how did you reach that conclusion? People who said six and fives and fours. What, how did you approach that? I want to hear from you. How did you think about last week? What did you use? Nikki, how did you get to your conclusion without telling people? How did you approach the question? I looked at it in different areas mm. in my life. Mm. Um, but one closer to me than other areas. And I feel like I let my wife down on some things. So I gave myself six out of ten. Approach the task. If she'd give you the same score, it should be <laughs> Anyone approach the task differently? Well, you, you set a standard of some sort. Hmm. I mean, for me, anyway, I, I, I sort of imagined what a 10 would be like. And then I judged my week based on that standard. Okay. Funny enough, I never, I never imagined what a 0 would be like. I, have to, hmm. I went and imagined what a 10 would be like. And then I gauged how close or how far am I from a 10. Okay. Good point. You started with a 10 and um, went downwards. Any other thoughts? Matthew? Anything I did throughout this week, has it got me closer to God or not? That's how I looked at it. So your starting point, start point or your measure was um, uh, what, what is it that got me closer to God? What is it that didn't get me closer to God? Okay. Interesting. I want to hear more. How else did you approach the question? So you had a certain expectation um, going backwards and thinking, did I actually meet my expectation? Okay. Monica? I just thought about like how faithful I was to the things that I knew I should be faithful to. Hmm. Um, and I, like and how balanced how I used my time and if I felt like it was proportional to the things that I should be Okay, so you looked at faithfulness and how you kind of divided the week in terms of time and how you spent the time. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Daniel? I kind of made a comparison between like the week before and how far have I progressed and if it's not progressed, like as far as I can be as well as zero. Okay, so you looked at the progression. In, in, in what aspect? As in, in any aspect. Any aspect. So you progressed and studied something, learned something. Yeah, like... like uh, Okay. Type my next question to you guys. People who scored four, two, four, five, six, who felt bad looking back at the week that it wasn't really a ten, ten out of ten or nine out of ten? Who felt bad? Put up your hand. So um, quite a few felt bad that the week wasn't really ten out of ten. Okay, so you're in the right conference. <laughs> you're in the right conference. Simply because one of the things that we'll cover in the conference is this way of looking at do's and don'ts to base your judgment 
of yourself, deciding, feeling bad or good about yourself. We've all still used stuff that we did to make me feel satisfied and stuff that I didn't do so I felt not very happy, not very satisfied. In fact, the majority felt bad. This is not the new life. Surprise, surprise. This is the old man. This is the way the old life operates. You need to set, set your navigator again. This is the old way of operating. Can anyone name it something different? From the Bible? Rejoice at all can you, can you name what you've done in a different way? The law. The law. The law. Who said the law? The law. Somebody. Somebody. This is, guys, this is essential. This is critical. I might stop the talk and just stop here. This is really serious. We're still evaluating our life, our week, deciding I'm going to be happy or satisfied or not, based on do's and don'ts, isn't it? It says a lot about, about my perception of the grace. It says a lot about how I think God views me and views my week. It says a lot about how um, I perceive the commandment. Did you get the point? Put up your hand if you want me to elaborate a bit further on this. Okay. So the, the system that we, that you guys, that we guys have used, you looked at... Stuff that you did to make you feel satisfied, stuff you didn't do, so you didn't feel satisfied. As you will learn tomorrow from Abuna about the grace, and also the second talk, is that the grace is a free gift that God has given us, through which, in the new life, we live in the good pleasure of our Heavenly Father. It doesn't change. If God evaluates our week the way we evaluate them, if God looks at us in the same way, He would be extremely changeable God. Looking at the do's and don'ts, you prayed. Good one. You forgot to read the Bible. Bad point. You, um, uh, you were faithful in studying. You got five marks. You swore. Minus two. That's what we've just done. Closer to Islam, isn't it? Closer to Judaism. This is not the new life. This is the right conference for us. We need to learn how to not just know about the grace, but how to live the grace. How to adopt the mind of Christ, who is pleased with us when we were dead in our sins. When Christ decided to give us His life, we weren't doing anything pleasurable. And if you are waiting to be pleased with yourself, so that you feel the courage that you approach God, you are not living the grace. You are not living the new life. You are still operating the old fashion, the old man. Can you see how serious that can be? Because that makes your relationship with God and with yourself very insecure. Because if you do well, you feel happy. If you don't do well, you don't feel satisfied with your, yourself or your week. Very changeable, conditional, defeats the purpose of learning about the unconditional love of Christ. I have a, que- I have a question. I understand the essence of what grace is, but at the same time, my relationship with God is supposed to be a relationship where I grow and I develop and I whatever. And I don't want to be using a metaphor, but let's say I'm saying that my growth is through my prayer and through my reading and my quiet time and my little, my whatever. If one time I don't fast, 
or, or I or I don't read or I don't whatever and I say oh well there's the grace of God I'm not I'm, the class is the grace of God if I carry on with that attitude and not feel bad I think I can continue I can I can fall off what I'm trying to do okay. and I had a commitment and I had whatever then, then how does that build my relationship? Yeah, so a uh, better question. And as I say, tomorrow we'll have a whole slide on comparing the grace-based relationship and the law-based relationship and uh, the myth that if I live in the grace, I'll be complacent, I'll be lazy, I'll be doing nothing. Because God loves me unconditionally, why work? In my, my humble opinion, this is the myth that the devil is so keen and interested that we believe that grace leads to complacency and doing nothing. I think it's the opposite. And if you read the Bible carefully, and if you look around you, uh, people who deal with God or deal with their employers as you pay me for five hours, here's my five hours, full stop. They don't change, they don't improve, they don't develop. People who develop are people who adopt the mindset of a son. This is my firm, this is my company, I need to work harder and harder. Look at people who are self-employed, who have their own company. Their phones are on all the time, that's their own project. They can work at night, they can work in the morning, that's their own project. But people who just work as a, an employee, that's it, 5 o'clock, my secretary at 5 o'clock disappears. No matter how many stuff I've given her, how much stuff I've given her, she disappears. And I know, if one second past five, she's gone. But is that the sort of the relationship that we are called to have? This is not the new life. God wants us to enjoy His love and the grace that we develop and we become sons. Or live our sonhood and live that childhood that we're called to have. Is that making sense? It's a basic thing, but we still live in the past. We still live in the old man. Give you another question. What is the behavior that you find yourself thinking of as unforgivable? What is it that people usually do that irritates you the most? And you think, you know what, I can forgive anything that people do apart from this. I find this really irritating and unforgivable. Put up your hand if you have something in mind. Don't, don't share it. Do you have something in mind that you think, I just, this is unforgivable. I've heard stuff like laziness. I just can't forgive laziness, unfaithfulness, stealing, injustice. So put up your hand if you can think of something that really irritates you and you think, I can't forgive an attitude like that. Can you think of anything? Yes, one, two, three, four, five. Do you want to give me examples or is it too private? Mm-hmm. So racism, just so annoying. Um, I can't accept. I can't forgive it. What else? Betrayal. betrayal. Yeah, one of the hardest. Betrayal is hard to forgive. Anything else that you feel? You know what? I can forgive anything, but. Human trafficking. Human trafficking. Hmm? Abuse. Why am I putting that question? Why do you think I put that question up there? Joanna? Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, spot on. So what you will, you probably haven't heard. What you will find out throughout the conference is how, when you accept to live the new life, the grace-based life, your attitude towards the unforgivable sins and mistakes of people will change. Simply because you will learn that you are the worst sinner ever. And if you think those people take advantage of people, you will feel in front of the light of God that you are the one who take advantage of people. In front of the light of the grace and the purity of God, you will feel that you are the worst person ever. Not to feel condemned, but to actually feel that you have had mercy to the maximum. And you can only share this mercy with other people. I can't share anything else but mercy with people. Not because I'm better than you, but because this is how God dealt with me. And when you look at the saints, you ask them and they say, well, I'm the worst in this monastery. And you think, come on, clearly you're not. He's not pretending. He's not making this up. But in the light of the grace, you will feel that God has dealt with you with the maximum mercy ever. To the extent that you feel, I can only have mercy on people. I can only share the grace with people. Is that making sense? Am I sharing grace with people who have made a mistake and knew they made a mistake? So, the human trafficking, if someone was a human trafficker and, and, and stopped, then I'd say, yes, grace applies. Grace applies because they know their mistake, whatever. But if someone who continues in a specific thing that they're doing, I'll answer you short with a brief answer. If you make a decision deep down that you know what, if someone just continues to despise the truth and continues to commit the crime they're committing, and I can't share the grace with that, I will be the first one that you won't be able to share the grace with me. The first one that you can't share the grace with me. Because I think you're talking about me. Because we've all had times where we've, knew, knew, we've known the truth and have continued to despise it. If you don't feel this way, this is the time for you to open up your heart and let God reveal to you that what He's doing to you is pure mercy. And it's not because you deserve it. One time the people of Israel felt that it's because we have a huge army, God will give us all this land. So the Lord said, no. It's not because you are the biggest nation, because you are not. I'm giving you the land because I love you. Not because you deserve it. And believe me, God will wait for you, will wait and wait and wait until you have this conviction that it's not because I deserve, but because of what you have done. That's a song, isn't it? Not because of what I have done, but because of what you have done. Mark.
and then your view of other people will change. When you hear tomorrow about the justification by Abuna, you will know that the source of your justification, who gives you the justification, who made you righteous, is the blood of Jesus, which was for free, and you didn't have it when you were in a good place. You had it when you were dead. You had it when you were sinner, a sinner. You had it when you were not listening. It was offered to you when you were really down. When you, when you hear that and you believe that, your self-image will change because it will no longer be dependent on how well you did or how well you didn't or how bad you did. Sorry. Your self-acceptance will change. Your forgiveness of other people will change. You won't be able to sort of think about how much people owe me. Um, give an example. The Lord went to the house of a man, a Pharisee, called... Simon. And then the, this woman came in, she started to sort of kiss his feet and wash his feet with um, her hair. Pharisee obviously couldn't accept that at all. Then the Lord gave him a parable of two people that owed money. To his surprise, the, the one, the, the master forgave them both. The one who owed much was the one who loved much and was the one whose sins were forgiven because there was more love. This is a bit bizarre. So if, if you owe me more, should that not make, make you worse? The Lord was saying no. It's not about how much you owe. Because my love and mercy is for everyone. It changes your concept about, about God and about yourself. And valuing others. Look at this verse. For all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. So St. Paul is making sure. Don't think you're better. I think there will be a question coming up. If you think God is keeping you in the church, and He is talking to you because of something good in you, this weekend you will learn it's because of something good in God. It's because of His grace and His love. That is unconditional. And abiding in that is good for you. That's the beginning of your new life. And it's good for the people around you. Let's move on. Your life at the moment, is it, is it new? Is it in the right direction or is it in the wrong direction? One of the questions, is it earned or given? Do you think the new life that you're in, is it earned or given? How would I know? Okay. Here is what the Lord said to His people in Deuteronomy 12. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord of God, which the Lord of God your Father has given you or is giving you to possess all the days that you live in the earth people of Israel were thinking that they are going to fight for the land but the Lord is saying I have already given it to you so that's a very important concept about the new life that God is calling us to it's not a life that you can earn my friend we can't earn the new life it's a life that has been given to us through the Lord Jesus himself why is that important? Tell me. What difference would that, would that make? That I learned that this new life is a given life. It's a gift. A free gift. It's not something I can earn. What difference would that make? If I, if I pray ten times a day and fast ten times and do all this, the I'll win, I'll win God over. It's as if there's a price to it. And I can say, hey God, I paid you ten million pounds. I can... Mm. I 
you can't earn it. Impossible. You can try, but you can't earn it. It's a, it's a life that has been given to me and you. I'll give you a question to, to show you whether you think the life that you've give, been given earned or, or, or not. Tell me, do you give God excuses after making mistakes? So when you make a mistake, do you tend to sort of give a but? Say a but. Like, you know, what, you know I did this, but the pressure was too much. I, um, I know, Lord, the first immediate, immediate, it happened to me a lot of the time, immediate thought when I remember that I haven't been praying or haven't been, or have been thinking something awful or something sexual or something, first immediate thought would be, yes, but, yes, strong, but um, I was weak, but I didn't notice, but someone gave me um, the, um, the wrong temptation or something. Put up your hand if you do that in the confession. If you think you've done that before in the confession. Put up your hand if you think you've done that with God directly. Before. So what does that say when you give excuse? How is that related to the new life given or earned? What's the relationship? Why do you think we give excuse? What's the root of giving an excuse? you've given, you've earned it, or you deserve it. Spot on. We give excuses to ourselves, or to God, or to Abuna, because we think we are better than that, and I deserve the gifts I'm having. That's just a, a mistake, just a one-off, but I deserve, I deserve better than that. So it reflects a big, big problem that we have, that we still feel that this new life, Christ himself, who is in me, is actually an, something I earned. It's not something I've been given. Put up your hand if, you, if that makes sense. Before I move on. Make sense? So we'll talk more about that. So don't worry if... I know it's very late in the day. We've all been traveling. You've all been traveling from abroad. So it's very tiring. And uh, we'll go through a lot of that tomorrow as well. So don't worry if you're missing a few things. My last question on this. God is still giving you a second chance, isn't He? Yes or no? Yes. What do you put that down to? Don't tell me. What do you put that down to? Is it because you think... Give me, give me examples of what we say to ourselves. God is giving me a second chance because... Obviously, the, 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 the cliché the, or the ready answer or well rehearsed because God is merciful. But put up your hand if deep down you think He's giving me a second chance because of something good in me. I've thought that before. Or because I'm more talented, more committed. I'm not like the others. At least I haven't done this. At least I'm keen. At least I'm in the church. At least I'm having communion. At least, at least, at least. All this reflects that I think that the very little that I'm given is the reason that God has given me His mercy. I'm buying His mercy. With the very few that I think I have. 
That's why I don't get to understand his love or his heart or his cross or his grace. Is that making sense? Has anybody thought about that question? Why is God giving me a second chance? And you came up with that conclusion that probably because I'm smarter. That's the cliche answer, yeah. That's it. God loves me, yeah. But uh, as I say, deep down, probably thinking, yeah, but uh, I am doing something at least. We've seen that in the Bible. People went, the Pharisee and the tax collector went to the altar and uh, he said, well, I'm not like this man. At least I'm better. He was rejected. But the other one went home uh, um, justified. And we learn tomorrow that justification is not something you can earn. It's something that is given to you. Making sense? I'll skip that for tomorrow. Again, we're talking one new life. Why did we put one? Because there's a whole point about oneness. My question is, is your life a whole? Do you live your life as a whole person? Or do you live a very fragmented life? In other words, St. Irenaeus tells us, that the saved man, the new man, is a complete man as well as a spiritual man. So the saved man is the complete man. It's not just your spirit. It's not just your soul. God saved you as a whole. We'll see why that makes a difference. In Thessalonians, St. Paul says, Now may God of peace himself sanctify completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, there's emphasis on the soul, the mind, the feelings, the body. So, okay, is that clear? My question to you. I can skip St. Macarius's quote for another day. You can see your title. My question is to you. We are arguing that I have thoughts, I have feelings, I have a body. And St. Irenaeus, St. Macarius, St. Paul tell us that the Lord saved us as a whole. And He wants to sanctify my thoughts, my feelings, my body, everything. I'm asking you, what is the least likely to participate in our worship? Is it our feelings, our body, our thoughts, our deep thoughts, our spirits? What is the least likely to participate or take part in our worship that we do every week? What is it that we ignore and doesn't take part at all? Give me examples. Thoughts. Very good one. So I can tell God what I think He wants to listen to. I can tell God what I think He wants to hear. But I'm not going to share my awful thoughts with Him. So I'm not offering a sacrifice of my thoughts, a proper one. Because I think it's too bad. But God wants every bit in me to share in the worship. To share in the, in the act of prayer, in the liturgy. So a lot of us don't share our deep thoughts with God. Okay, what else doesn't take part, usually? Yeah, so my inner desires, I don't want to say that. I don't want to share that with, that, with God. What am I doing here? If I'm preventing that from sharing the, the moments that I have with God, they're not going to be sanctified. They're not going to be corrected. They're not going to be renewed. So when God is calling me and you to have a new life, He's calling my body, my thoughts, my feelings, every bit in me to be new. Give me another example of something that doesn't take part in our worship. Yes. Say again? Our sins. Our sins? 
I'm talking more minas about things in me. So if you if you think sins as in my sinful thoughts, yes, I agree. Yeah, I don't share my thoughts with God because I don't want to tell Him that I'm thinking in a bad way. Although this is what He wants to listen to, so He can actually help me. I think it's a very good point. Quite a few of us feel that there's a need to share our feelings with, with God. Or have the feelings participate in the prayer. In fact, in the other conference last, last year, quite a few boys said, we don't need to have our feelings participate in the singing, in the music. We don't need that. It's not in our nature. What I'm arguing is feelings are an important component in us and if you don't get them sanctified and renewed who else is going to do that? You need to expose them. You need to get them to share in the moments you spend with God. That's why our, our church fathers talked about metanias and worshipping with the body because the body needs to, sh- to take part for God to come in and make you a whole new man. Is that making sense? And a new woman. Okay, my uh, next one. The new life that we live, is it a real new life or, the, or a patched life? And I'm, we've been there before, so I'm not going to um, explain it again. But no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. But we need a new garment, a new direction. All of us, we've all of us done patching before. All of us. Lord, I'm happy because I've managed to stop gossiping or swearing. But the whole direction on the sat-nav hasn't changed. Do you think this is the most, the most important thing that God wants me to do? Sat-nav is directed wrongly. The whole direction of my life is not there. But I managed to stop one thing thinking this is better than nothing. What interests God is the new direction, which is the repentance. The new life has to change. The whole life has to change. You you can't go back to Manchester. You need to go to London. This is the new life. You can't you can't you can't want you can't patch it with new bits and bobs. It has to be a whole new direction. Does that make sense? We've all patched before. Changing behaviors, changing uh, attitudes, but not the, the main mindset. And as I say, the, the main evidence for that is what concerns us is the outside, not the inside. I'm sure Abuna finds it quite frustrating when we go and confess, and we confess on the outside. Like when we confess really superficial behaviors, but we don't tell him the core of what we have done. We rarely confess our self-righteousness. We rarely confess our ego. So we tell Abuna the periphery stuff. I swear I gossip, I do this, but I don't tell him the reality. I do this because I am proud. I am arrogant. Abuna, I do this because deep down I feel I am better. Abuna, I am, I am gossiping because I despise people, because I think this is the way God deals with me, with me. So I don't share, I don't confess properly the roots of what I'm doing, because that would be embarrassing. That would be making me vulnerable. 
it's very easy for me to say, Abuna, you know, I, I swear, I gossip, I waste time. Okay. There's no real um, exposure of the depth of why I'm doing this. And what does it say to me and you? We are more concerned with the outside. We are not concerned to change with changing the inside. And that's where God looks. I want you to change the inside first. I can see we're all tired, so I'll skip this. This is what the Lord said to uh, people of Israel. You have skirted this mountain long enough, round about, going round and round and round for years. It's the time that you turn northward. We've all been there. If I ask you, okay, where were you last year? A lot of us would feel last year, in terms of my relationship with God, or my growth, probably the same. I was in the same place, same level, same engagement in the relationship. Nothing has majorly changed. This is worrying. Because am I progressing? Or am I skirting? I don't have to have solid evidence that last year I wasn't shining. This year I'm shining. I don't need to have that solid evidence. But at least I need to feel that in that relationship I'm getting closer. I'm more open. Okay, I'm deciding which one to skip, which one to keep. A lot of us don't have a sense of direction. So again, we really need, this is something we will cover in the conference as well. Is that when you live in the grace, you need to allow God to give you a sense of direction, a sense of goal in, for your life. Um, I'll give you an example. A lot of us, actually when I, was, when I was 18, I remember very well, I went out from home aimlessly thinking, probably go to church. It was in one of the evenings and the weekend, there might be a meeting. So I went out, and as I went out, I met a friend who said, Michael, you know, we're having a gathering here in a, um, in a house. How about we spend some time? So I spent some time, and I looked at the watch. Oh, God, come on, it's just almost midnight, midnight. And I go home, and I feel really frustrated, really empty. And it happened with me quite a few times, and I didn't realize why. Until I um, started reflecting, and actually, I didn't have a goal. There's no goal at all, no purpose, just aimless. Plus, I was in need. I was really desperate for something that friends, family couldn't give me. And my decision was to go aimlessly looking for anyone to feed my hunger and thirst for a relationship or love that God, God was the only one who was able to give that to me. And this happens with all of us. We need to retain this control over the life we live, we need to have a purpose and a goal for the way we live. We'll talk about that more in the in the conference. It's been the computer is telling me it's been 40 minutes now of listening. So I was having that slide. We can talk about it tomorrow. This is something we do with uh, our people who have addiction problem, who want to change direction, and they never do. And we see them for 20 years, same person, same drugs, same services, nothing changes. And one of the things we encourage them to do is to think about the cost and benefit of making a change and cost of benefit of staying where I am. So again, it goes back to the change of direction. Me and you, we need to make this. I mean, I've had a, a guy telling me many years ago, 
I masturbate and it's it's nothing to, to do with my direction in life, I think it's okay. I'm losing nothing. So with a bit of work on this, change, looked at the cost and benefits of what I'm doing and staying where I am and cost of benefits of making change, it was very easy for him to see the losses that he incurs from sinning. And this is really easy for us to miss. That we do things at work, we do things with people, a lot of it is sinning, but we don't know the cost of it. We think it's okay. That's why we don't need to change direction. I think I might get to London through the M64, going north through Scotland, Aberdeen, and then go back to London. That's a deception. The devil is telling me you don't need to change direction. It's costing you nothing. But what we are saying today, no. If I do properly my cost-benefit analysis, I will learn more about what I'm losing. And I will need to make a change of direction. A lot of people who change from substance use to free from drugs is because of a relationship loss. Because they lost a family or they lost the respect of the parents. That would be a change in moment because that would be a big loss. And God will pursue me and you to make it clear to us that if we don't change direction, have a new mindset, we are losing. We are losing and we'll continue to lose. Yeah. It's okay. I don't think I'm losing much. Can you give me an example? Can you think of an example? Think about yourself. Huh? Don't think too. Don't think too far. Think about what we do, and we think you know I can keep it. I don't need to uh, to get rid of it. My direction is the same, and we're not aware that actually I'm losing, and this direction will never get me. Uh, to the new life. Can you give me an example of something that we think it's not really costing me much? Um, for quite a while, I, I didn't fast. Oh, I didn't mean no, you no, need no, to share no. your uh, personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for quite a while, I didn't fast and I didn't think I was losing much. How, da- how dare you I not fast? Praying, I was coming to church, I was confessing, I was having communion, and for a while I didn't think I was using much until I realized that for some of the sins I was battling with that I wasn't able to do it on my own at all and it wasn't until I actually started to fast and started to fast regularly that I realized that again it wasn't anything I could do it was the mysterious power of fasting and prayer that really helped me through God's grace to go through that journey so for a while I didn't I wasn't any wiser and I didn't share much of it in confession either so I never really had that insight into what I was actually missing out on. Yeah. Through God's grace I was given. We, we think we're smarter. 
than God. I mean, we can have shortcuts, and we can we can enjoy the best of both. And uh, it does work. You can't go to Manchester and London at the same time. You can't you can't go in both directions at the same time. You're either going to London or Manchester. You're either going backwards or forwards. You can't you can't um, delude yourself that you could combine the two. You can't. And that's why the people of Israel went in a roundabout way for years. How many years? Forty years? Four zero years? Thousands and thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people going around and around and couldn't even move north. They weren't ready. So yes, very good point, uh, Shadi. That we think we're smarter and we can, we can keep the best of both. I have done it before with prayer. This is how deluded we can be. So I remember I was, I think I was 15 or 16, I can't remember how old I was. I was in Egypt at the time. And I went to my father of confession and I said, I just drop it and say, well, I don't pray really, but I'm okay. I was, I was actually helping in service, doing so many things in the church as a, as a teenager. And I thought this can compensate for, for not praying. And I was okay with that. He had a shock. He was a friend. So he was like... What do you mean? I mean, you can't. You, you can't just delude yourself that you you can get away with doing things um, in the church and not praying because this is the same kind of thing. So we are we are uh, we're going to learn tomorrow that the grace doesn't mean no commandments. The grace doesn't abolish the law. The grace doesn't say no work, but it puts a different basis for work. It puts the law into perspective. It puts the commandments into a better perspective for us. And it makes us much it makes it much easier for us to fulfill the commandments. In fact, St. Macario says that the, when you have that grace, it gives you the ability to fulfill the law. So it's the opposite. The, the grace is not going to abolish the commandments. It's, going, it's not going to make you lazy. But it's going to give you the power and the freedom to obey the word. Any other examples of things that we think it can uh, it cannot harm and can keep keep the best of both? We can keep the best of both worlds. Anyone want to share, Monica? Doesn't have to be personal. So I'm keeping the worldly advice bit just in case, but also I'm keeping close contact with people from church, keep the best of both, and uh, we can share other stuff that is not holy, but it's okay because I want to keep that. I don't want to lose it. Um, as I say, we, um, we, we, we think we're wiser or smarter than God. Yeah, very good example. I'm going to stop that. Let's give that one as well. Okay. Well, don't know. I'm thinking of a time, guys. I'll give you one last one. Um, again, when the Lord was describing the new life and the new land for His people in Deuteronomy 12, He said, "You shall not at all do as we are doing here today." Every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. 
put up your hand if you've met people who can only do whatever is right in their own eyes. I'm not going to embarrass you and say if you are one of them, but I've certainly come across people like that. And I could be one of them. This is again back to the control. I must be in control, otherwise I'm not moving. And the land, the new land, the new life that God is calling us to, is not a land where you need to be in control. It's a land where you need to trust God's leadership. It's a different land. It's a new life where you need to trust more rather than being more controlled. Unless I know where I'm going, unless I know how it works, I won't do it. Unless I know how fasting works, I won't do it. Unless I know how prayer works, I won't do it. Unless I'm in control of the Holy Spirit, I won't do it. Abuna will tell us, there are lots of books that despise the work of God, but they don't say that plainly. They want you to do it yourself. The salvation by yourself, the uh, recovery from sins by yourself, because you need to be in control. You can't trust someone else, which is God. But the simple tells us clearly that the Lord spared His own Son. He hasn't spared His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? So this is the key to trusting God and think about how He didn't spare His own Son for us. I'm going to stop here and I'm going to remind you that throughout the conference we will be going through Romans 5-8. to chapter by chapter, through the workshops, through the talks, exploring this new life, and exploring the foundations of this new life. One of which, the key one, is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, if you miss the point, if it's not the first time you hear about it, but you want to hear more about it, this is what we'll be going to cover tomorrow as well. That the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and what it means, and how to live in it. We'll also cover the church's view on the new life, and our Father's view on the new life. We link that with the sacraments in our workshops as well, to think about baptism and think about the liturgy. We finish off by making sure we all leave knowing what justification is and what righteousness is, and how we can live the justification the Lord wants to give us for free. And then we finish on Sunday with Romans 8 and the meaning of salvation that sample describes. So that's in summary our conference. Thank you for listening. It's been almost 50 minutes of listening. Any burning questions or comments? Anyone who is very, very, very tired? Anyone who is sleepy? Quite a few. Okay. Glory be to God forever. Amen. So, shall we pray? Oh, you have, sorry? Just back to the question that you asked about the scoring system. 